And, you know, I can understand the justifications for what they're saying. When you, when you say you're fighting fascism, you want to nip it in the bud kind of thing. I mean, I can see where that comes from. I just don't agree with it. Welcome to the Off-Grid Outpost podcast, where we discuss the journey to real liberty through self-sufficiency, counter-economics, non-aggression, and the agora. The Outpost represents the border between societal norm and the pioneer spirit. Every episode contains practical, philosophical, and technical information you can use to gain the freedom you deserve. Welcome, everyone, to the Off-Grid Outpost podcast. I am here with Cyrus. Good morning. And today we are talking about Antifa, part two. The modern-day Antifa. Yes. So you will want to go back and listen to Antifa part one, which is the history of Antifa. We go over where it originated from, which gives you great context for our part two episode of Modern Day. They go hand in hand, so that is uh, the episode before last that we released it. You know, I found uh, in preparation for this topic, it can be pretty tough to find information that you can depend on. You know, it's a very polarizing subject, and so there's Mm -hmm. lots of information out there that contradict each other, and because it's not an organization there are people who say they are Antifa, and a lot of Antifa members can have different viewpoints. And so even within the movement of Antifa, there's differences. So it makes the research of the subject a little bit difficult. It does, yeah. I agree with that. There's no centralized organization. It's all very decentralized flare-ups of Antifa. So you get a lot Mm -hmm. of differing viewpoints. You get very left-wing viewpoints of it, pro-Antifa, right-wing, opposition Antifa. So it's very hard to get, like, actual, like, good facts. Yeah. I will say that it is difficult to say that it's not organized and it's not funded centrally. I think that's not exactly true. Um, The reason I say that is because there's a book that's written called Anti-Fascism, the Anti-Fascist Handbook, written by a historian named Mark Bray. I think he's a historian. Uh, He's an academic. Um, And he even openly says that 50% of the proceeds go to Antifa International. So there is a group called Antifa International that Ah. receives donations. Interesting. So I can't, I don't think it's completely accurate to say that they're not at all organized. You know, they're not an organization and they're not funded because otherwise, why would that organization exist and received and receive half the proceeds from a book about it? So I think that's what's changed from past Antifa to present Antifa. There's been this morph from this decentralized response that Antifa used to be into now a more organized, funded response that we're seeing here in America. Right. 
but you still have the disorganization of separate, you know, autonomous groups in localized areas kind of doing whatever they want without a centralized control and command. So it's kind of interesting in that respect. And they're, you know, the American Antifa movement is kind of separate from the national Antifa. So, like, in Germany, they call the American Antifa autonomous Antifa. England and Italy call it militant antifascist. And the French call them radical antifascists. So there hmm. seems to be a, a divergence in America from other anti-fascists, which is interesting. Well, I feel like the diversion is the fact that we've never had fascism in America. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that could be it. Yeah. Yeah. And Well, and that's what's funny about this whole anti-fascist movement here is we do not have a fascist dictatorship. I don't care what you say about Trump or whoever you consider to be fascist. If you look at the definition of fascism, we do not check the boxes. Maybe we check a couple, but we do not check all the boxes to be considered a fascist dictatorship. So that's where probably the diversion and confusion arises. We simply have anti-fascists that are rioting or protesting against a non-fascist regime. So how does that work out? I don't know. Yeah. And and I'll also say, too, that in my research for this episode, I found that there is a distinction in America when anti-fascists talk about what they're doing. They kind of say, uh, we oppose fascism and racism wherever we can find it. So they kind of make a distinction between fascism and racism, which um, I was a little bit confused about, but at least that's a good thing. They're, at least they're saying they're against racism. So, I mean, yeah, I can get behind the group. Yeah, I can get behind the group because they're against fascism, and I can get behind the group because they're against racism. I agree with that, so that's good. And I think mm-hmm. it's good that you're saying we're going after racists and not uh, not grouping them in as fascists. The problem is... Yeah, it's completely different. Yeah, the problem is when, when you watch videos of Antifa in the streets arguing with other people, they're calling everybody fascists when they disagree with them. And so it's kind of <laughs> like a... Well... One of their stated objectives is to deplatform fascists and racists, which mm-hmm. stems from this belief in, within that organization. They take this stance, and it's kind of a, a contradiction, but they have a term that they call uh, preemptive self-defense. And it kind of stems from this idea that, you know, in, <laughs> like in Germany, when the Nazis were rounding up uh, Jewish people, and we didn't do anything. You know, first they took my neighbor, and I didn't do anything. And, you know, you've heard that old speech. Well, now they're kind of saying, we got to do something sooner, which kind of makes sense, you know, but it seems like it's led them down this road to where 
if you're a racist, you will eventually be a fascist. So I've got to shut you up now, which I disagree yeah, with. Yeah, it sounds like a slippery slope. It is a slippery slope. And it's a free speech slope What it is what it is. So I am a person who says there are no limits on free speech. You can say whatever you want. I don't care what it is. I don't care how horrific it is. I don't care how offensive to me it is. You can say what you want. And that people will argue that that slippery slope is, well, what if I'm calling for people to go out and uh, round up Italians or pick your group, LGBTQ, Italians, whatever, it doesn't matter. Why you gotta be like that? Why you gotta be racist? Why you gotta be racist against Italians, Cyrus? Well, so. Italians? Crap, am I a racist now? Dad coming. <laughs> I think you're well that makes you a fascist if you're a racist, so dang. I, I slid down that slope we were just talking about, I think. Oh no. my goodness. You slid down <laughs> that slippery slope fast. <laughs> right. So I when you if I'm calling for violence, well that's not protected under free speech. Like you cannot incite violence. That's a felony. So that's where the line is. It's already on the books. It's a felony for you to do that. So it's not protected under free speech. Anything up until that point, you're free to say whatever you want. Even if the things you're saying are ignorant or racist or homophobic or whatever. But Antifa seems to take a different stance that you should not be allowed to say those things and that they're objective is to deplatform you and stop you from saying those things which is what the charlottesville event was about you know the kkk event that they went and they disrupted their intention was to not let them have a platform which now that was in 2017 that was probably the most recent current event that has caused the Antifa flare-up of modern-day times. Mm-hmm. Right, which there we was talked a about. KKK meeting called Unite the Right, and they went there and, like you said, deplatformed them and debased them. That was yeah. our first modern Antifa flare-up. And now right. it just seems to have gotten really out of control. Personally, that's how I feel, but... You know, I find that to be a contradiction within their thinking, this idea of preemptive self-defense. It just, it's, in my mind, it's an oxymoron. You, preemptive yeah, self-defense is sense. not self-defense. That's an aggression. So That's offensive, yeah. That's, that's aggressive to right. preemptively self-defend yourself against something that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> right. And another thing that I find in their writings a lot is this idea that we will not tolerate intolerance, which, I mean, that's, it doesn't even make sense to me. I'll not tolerate intolerance just makes you intolerant. So it's kind of, that's another right. kind of oxymoron within their thinking. And, you know, I can understand the justifications for what they're saying when you, when you say you're fighting fascism, you want to nip it in the bud kind of thing. I mean, I can see where that comes from. I just don't agree with it. Um, but there is, inter- it's interesting because modern day Antifa in America seems to contradict itself 
in a lot of ways. A, a lot of ways, yeah. We have the pre preemptive self-defense model, which is completely asinine. And then the tactics they use seem to be more fascist. Their anti-fascist tactics are fascist. So what are some examples of uh, some of the tactics they use that are contradictory? Well, so a fascist tactic is to suppress uh, dissension, to stop people from saying things bad about anti, or to stop people from saying things bad about fascism. That's a fascist tactic that the anti-fascists are using. They're intentionally and have stated yeah. that they will suppress the speech of other people. And it's grown to this point where now, just by disagreeing with them, you know, if you're not on their side, you're a fascist also. And that's a yeah, fascist that's crazy tactic. to me. And so there's this huge movement of censorship going on right now across social media platforms about anyone who speaks out against Black Lives Matter and anyone who speaks out against Antifa. You're getting censored, whether or not it's a over-the-table censorship where they delete your stuff and they tell you why, or a shadow ban, which is a soft censorship on the back-end side where they just won't mm -hmm. show your stuff. Yeah, it's a cancel Which culture. is completely fascist. <laughs> right, exactly. And so I disagree with him there. But it was funny when, uh, when I found this book by Mark Bray. I didn't have time to order it and read it. And so what I did was I got on YouTube and I just started searching for his lectures and just listened to what he has to say. And it was interesting. I'm going to give a direct quote from the first thing he said from one of the um, lectures that I listened to. He said, thank you all, all of you for coming out and taking the time to actually hear what I have to say and engage with my arguments and agree and disagree and make up your own mind based on what I'm actually saying. It's really refreshing, and I really appreciate it. And he said it as if, like, his free speech, you know, he hasn't been allowed to say what he wanted to say, which, I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't seen any... Uh, protests where he's been speaking. I haven't seen anyone protesting his lectures. And I looked for it. I, I don't think find his it. lectures are getting banned. Right. Or shadow and, banned. But if you, if you try to watch, if you try to go to a lecture from people like Sam Harris, uh, well, there's a lot of, I mean, they're kind of, uh, well, some of them even are, are, they're not even considered far right. Like Sam Harris is not far right, but they have called him a alt-right person. And they try, they try to stop him from being able to speak on campuses and people within his group who are kind of, uh, libertarian in a way, free speech and things like that. They, they try to stop those people from having a platform. And so I just thought it was really ironic that Mark Bray was saying, thanks for he letting me like speak. That. You know, it's kind of funny because they, promote... I don't think he's come against any roadblocks to yeah. speaking. 
or I being mean, maybe, heard. Maybe so. I'm not aware of it, but maybe. the real irony is that he promotes deplatforming people. So it's just kind of strange. Right. But. Well, it's almost like they take a victim stance to disguise their aggression. Yeah. They act, they they act like they're victimized, yet they're going in and aggressively, um, preemptively self defending themselves. They act like a victim, which gives them the right to uh, deplatform others who are exercising their free speech rights. And then there's the whole thing, which we haven't talked about yet, is how they uh, use violence to end violence. Right. So that's a big thing. Is there like if we had the the mind state is if we had taken out Hitler as a child, we would have never had the Hitler in the first place. So we could have used violence to end the major violence, but it, it just doesn't quite work like that. That's like, and you know, that's a big ethical argument right there. And it may or may not be true. So like President Trump, I do not believe is a fascist. He does say things He's not. in, he does use a rhetoric sometimes that will appeal to a fascist. The nationalism, mm -hmm. America is great, that kind of stuff. I mean, those are the same kinds of things uh, that were promoted by Mussolini and Hitler. So some of the things, some of the rhetoric he uses will be enticing to fascism. And maybe he's an opportunist. Maybe he uses that to his advantage. But I don't think he's a fascist. What's more frightening is if what his opponents are saying is true, then half of the American people are wanting a fascist-style leader, which would be frightening. <laughs> so I, I don't yeah. think that's true. But my point is, you take out Hitler, okay, Hitler's not there anymore. But if the people were really wanting that type of government, they would have got it anyway. Someone else would have been there to do yeah. it. And so, yeah, we can't that's go the around killing baby Hitlers. Right. And that's the problem with, in my opinion, that's the problem with democracy. It's the mob rule. It's the majority of people, whatever their morality is at the time, that's the kind of leadership you get. And so that's what's hap that's what happened in Germany. That's what happened in Italy. And there would likely be another fascist dictator that arose, whether or not you took out the main guy or not. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if it's the people that are wanting that anyway, or if it's the majority of the people that are, that find that type of rhetoric appealing, then you're going to end up there anyway. And well, and I don't really understand how using violence to end violence would even work because using violence only propagates more violence. Typically it yeah, escalates. I'm not aware of it ever working. I mean, maybe yeah, there's someone out does. there can point that out. Maybe somewhere uh, it has worked, but I don't know. But when you say, when you talk about preemptive self-defense and you justify it in your own actions, then you're also agreeing with what America does with its military. You know, we go over there in the Middle East and we kill a bun bunch of Muslim people to protect ourselves from some future event that they might attack us. That's the same concept, yeah. but it most is. of the Antifa 
crowd, that group, most of it, most of them are socialist leaning in one way or another, they would totally be against those wars that we were engaged in. And so that's another contradiction. And that's interesting. I, you know, I agree with their idea of direct action from the bottom up, which is kind of what it is. These street gangs who go out and in their mind, protecting their communities against fascism or racism. You know, I agree with that ground up kind of action. That's what agorism is. And I'm an agorist. The difference is yeah. I don't agree with aggression. And I, tr at least with agorism, you can't find contradictions in its philosophy. Right. I, that's what I think the main takeaway of all of this is, is if you have a belief, make sure that you study that belief closely so that there are no contradictions in whatever your belief is. I mean, I have changed. Right. And that's hard I to have, do. It is hard to do. It's hard for anybody to do. I've had to do it many times in my life, you know, when having a discussion with someone and their point, it's hard to hear someone tell you that you're contradicting yourself, but you have to look at it closely. And if you are contradicting yourself, you have to find a way out of that. You have to change your viewpoint to be in a position of non-contradiction. And Well, and I think I, uh, American Antifa, modern day American Antifa is just full of contradictions, whereas you know, old day European Antifa was more of a purist form. But now we're seeing uh, Antifa basically become radicalized here in the States. Radicalized. And I think it's been co-opted for political gain by people uh, who Absolutely. are using who are using them. That's what I think. Yes, they're using Antifa to promote a communistic political agenda. And that does have roots. That does have roots with the group, uh, the American League Against War and Fascism, which was formed back in the 30s. Yeah. And they outright said, the leader outright said, that this Antifa group that was organized was deliberately trying to take out the American democracy system and replace it with communism. Mm -hmm. So the original roots of Antifa in America is to remove democracy, and install communism. And I think that's BLM as well. Well, BLM seems more Marxist, but, well, they're both not democratic. Marxism, right. communism, socialism, they're... I guess I don't really know the difference between Marxism and communism. I've been hearing the term Marxism being thrown around a lot lately, but I don't know exactly what it is. Well, it basically, everyone is put into a group. So... It's very, uh, it's very anti-diverse, although they preach diversity. So everybody gets put into a group. So if I'm a white guy, I'm a white guy, and therefore I have privilege. Or if I'm Hispanic, uh, I'm this part of a minority. Or if I'm gay, I'm this part of a minority. And you end up with this identity kind of politics where what if I'm a woman, I'm a black woman, and I'm a gay black woman, well, now I have more grievance than anyone else, you know, and so it becomes this race to the race to the finish line of how many grievances I can have, and 
uh, it's, it's really weird. I mean, maybe we should do a, a that topic. That is weird. Maybe we should do <laughs> a Marxist type episode, but yeah, because I don't understand it. I to me in my head it was uh, just kind of the same as communism generalized, but it sounds like it's got this really weird neo identity politics that mm -hmm. glorifies minorities. So then you end up checking all the boxes of all these different minority ships and now you are the majority because you're like, I fit into all the groups. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's that's unusual. I'd like to I'd like to go down that rabbit hole of Marxism. <laughs> yeah, especially we do since that. we're seeing this resurgence of Marxism. Yeah. It's important to know what's going on out there and what we're kinda in a way up against. Or not necessarily up against, but, you know, these mm. are possibilities of people taking over our democratic system. Right. You know, governments get thrown out all the time. Right. So it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's just one more kind of reason why I fall into the agorist category and why I like it, because it kind of makes all of that irrelevant to me in my life. Right. You know, and so I like I'm okay with you being a Marxist. The problem is if you're a Marxist, you want to control me. And I'm okay with you being a communist. The problem with communism is you eventually want to control me. I'm okay with you uh being any type of having any type of philosophy Antifa. that you want. The problem with is if it's all government oriented, eventually you want to control me. So I don't agree with any of them. Right. I, I think another problem with the Antifa movement is, by default, they are creating more of what they are trying to fight against. So the more they push right. back against someone who is just ultra-Republican, or I should say ultra-conservative, and they call them a fascist mm -hmm. and a racist, and they're not then they're going to start pushing back against Antifa. And so they're they're Well, it's creating, becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> right. They're creating more of what they don't want, in a right. sense. And it's really polarizing the country. It really is a little bit scary because we're starting to have so many uh, conflicts and riots across the country now in every city every time you know every time a cop kills somebody now we've got a new riot every time which I, I, i'm not condoning cops killing people i think everybody if you've listened to enough of our episodes you know i don't agree with any of that but you can't just riot every time something happens that you disagree with you're number one breaking the well everything's under magnification and yeah yeah, you're number one, you're breaking the non-aggression principle. And so when Antifa goes on a rampage and stores are getting burned down and private businesses that have nothing to do with whatever it is your grievance is, lives are getting destroyed. And it's, it's creating this tension that if it doesn't stop at some point, it can be a real problem. And I'm even... You know, I hate to say the words, but it's it's almost like civil war kind of uh, tension. If 
if somehow yeah. this doesn't stop, exactly. it's going to elevate and elevate more and more. I mean, we've seen more of this this year than we've ever seen in in my lifetime. I mean, I know yeah, back in the 60s and stuff, there was a, there was a bunch of this kinds of thing happening. But I think it's a real problem if things don't change. We also have... It is. And we have a lot more people on this earth now since the 60s. So we're looking at a, you know, I think we've at least doubled, if not tripled, our population. So there's going to be more tension just for the sheer fact that there's more people. If you want to get your point across, there's nothing wrong with that. But you can't start calling people fascist just because they disagree with you. You're just creating more tension when you do it because right. somebody who's not a fascist that happens to disagree with you is like, I'm not a fascist. You know, now you've created more tension. Now you've possibly created someone who they might show up at the next event to obstruct your free speech, you know, and it just escalates, it gets worse and worse. It's exacerbating the issue. Yeah, it's definitely exacerbating the issue. Mm-hmm. And I do need to take a moment to put on my tinfoil hat. Okay. We haven't put it on for a while, so we've that's, been that's very true, good yeah. about not being tinfoil hat wearers on this. Yeah, let me let me podcast. let me knock the dust off my tinfoil hat and put it on. Yeah, put it on. It's been a few episodes, but <laughs> I gotta say that all all of our media, all of our the monopoly on media is all left leftist, pro-BLM, pro-Antifa, pro-communism, leftist parties, and they are promoting this message, this Antifa message, and they're taking incidences and blowing it up all over media, mm -hmm. and they are inciting this violence. They are inciting this situation of hatred and racism. The media is making it so much worse that you have to wonder if this is their agenda to take the eyes off the government and create this massive race war between the people that's probably going to end up possibly into a civil war because it's starting to go down the slippery slope that is propagated by left-wing media corporate giants. There. There it is. Yeah, I... I agree with most of what you just said. Uh, I don't think you can, we can say that the whole of media is left-leaning because you still have Fox News, who is right-leaning. And, you know, Fox News will ignore facts. But they don't. are also there to incite the crazy. Yeah. I mean, Fox loves to incite people. Fox, you look at Fox, they're always pissed off. Yeah. They're always in a rant. And they're, of course, doing the whole anti-play, okay? But that's all just set up. Yeah. They're just another freaking puppet to incite hatred Division. against each other. So it's all a freaking puppet song and dance show to turn each other, to turn the American people on each other to the point of where we're at now, which is probably going to get worse. And they are doing it on freaking person because divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. That is their that is their agenda. Yeah, the the government absolutely does not mind if we fight with one another. They they do not they mind love that it at because all. Because while we're fighting, 
While they're fighting, they're printing out trillions of freaking funny money digital dollars to pump into their corporate buddies' pockets, mm-hmm. like Apple and Boeing, et cetera, et cetera, therefore inflating our dollars, which is an invisible tax on the American working class. So mm-hmm. our dollars now spend less and less, but we're too busy getting pissed off about Antifa and and, you know, the conservatives are now starting to show up to the riots and we're starting to see escalations and the media is just pumping us full of all this crap. Mm-hmm. It's like, what the hell are they doing behind the scenes while all this stuff is going on? That's where the real question needs to be. Yeah, the government loves it when uh, we... I felt good to get out. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I just needed to get that out. I'm like, blah, okay, I'm done. <laughs> uh, the government definitely does not mind... Is if we complain about how the government should act as long as we're saying that the government should act. They don't care. Right. You know, they just don't care. As long as we feel like we need them to do something, they're okay. It doesn't matter what it is we need them to do as long as we need them. They want us to feel that way. Yep. Because they're, because government is the, is the parasite class. Like they need us. The producers, yep. but we don't need them, but they, as long as they can convince us that we need them to do something, they're winning. They don't care. And this... Well, and pretty soon we're going to need them, quote unquote, need them to start breaking up all this violence. And we're going to see military uh, police coming in, uh, the, the military police state, and we're going to give up even more... Uh, freedom mm-hmm. so they can control the situation and it, it's it we're on a danger zone i agree with you you know that we're we're kind of in a hot seat right now in this situation and it doesn't seem to be cooling off i mean we're going on months of riots now what three months of riots in portland mm-hmm. holy crap it's a dangerous situation and i think that people the american people are far removed from what a real civil war violent revolution looks like and Mm, mm -hmm. there are people calling kind of calling for that type of action and i don't think they really understand what it means and how destructive it is to people and it's just dangerous yeah i mean there are a lot of people out there willing to uh stand up sign up against forces that they call evil and it doesn't matter which side you're on you're calling the other side evil you know yeah i just choose to opt out i've I've basically mentally and i'm starting to physically and financially opt out of this really messed up system we're in yeah i think that's the best answer well, and I'd like uh, for people to go back and listen to the Unmasking the State episode. It's like maybe five or six episodes back. And we really go into like, what is the state, you know, and what is really going on and what agendas are really being pushed under our noses while we're mm-hmm. all busy fighting for, you know, these extreme sides, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. good episode. And I want to make it clear, too, that agorists are not pacifists. So I I don't want there to be any misunderstanding about that, because to say that you don't believe in aggression is not the same as saying you don't believe in the use of force. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a there's a difference between force and violence. People interchange those words as if they mean the same thing, but they don't. So the use of force is the ability, the ability through action 
to make something else happen. That's force. Violence is the use of force in an aggressive manner, in a coercive manner. Mm -hmm. When you are forcing someone to do something against their will, you are violating them. And or else. It is a violation mm -hmm. that the root words are the same. To violate someone and to use violence, it's the same root word. It's not the same as force. And so an mm -hmm. agorist may not use violence, but they will use force to repel violence. So for the people out there who are maybe thinking in their head, well, I can't be an agorist because, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tolerate someone doing this, this or that to me. Well, as an agorist, you don't. You don't let someone do right. this, this or that to you. You use appropriate amount of force to repel violence. Interesting. I don't. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't play into this conversation, but I just I felt like I needed to get that out there. Well, and I think we should do an episode on what agorism really is. I think it's a term that very few people have heard of, mm -hmm. and I think it's a term and an alignment that a lot of people would be on board with if they only had the knowledge. So maybe that'll be uh, our next uh, Tuesday episode. Introduction to agorism. Well, I mean, we kind of did one. What did we call it? I think it was, well, I don't remember. I think it might have been uh, the flailing economy where we talked quite a bit about agorism. We've, yeah, we've touched about it and we went into counter-economics heavy. Mm -hmm. But agorism is like a step further. And I think we could do a nice episode where we just really like go over the principles of agorism directly. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we can plan for yeah. the next Tuesday. That sounds good. Yeah, because that'll this will that'll kind of tie in right into this episode. It ties into many of our um, our thoughts and philosophies and prior episodes. And so, if we just give a nice, clean, clear, uh, straight to the point, what agorism is, how you can apply it in your life, you may feel that you are an agorist as well. That you just you you don't you maybe been feeling like you're missing an identity through all of these crazy crises. Well, this may be the identity that you are looking for. Yeah. That you never knew you were looking for. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. So you can uh, tune in next week for that. Yeah. Pretty interesting, you know, Antifa and uh, what's going on with the world. But yes, um, cool. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. <laughs> yeah. And this Friday is Pillar 2 of Living Off-Grid. So uh, this upcoming uh, Off-Grid series episode is going to be Pillar 2, which is talking about uh, finances. Like, how do you finance going off-grid? How do you make money while you're off-grid? It's one of the biggest reasons why people choose not to go off-grid because they're stuck in the mind state that, you know, if you're going off-grid, you're basically going to be, like, almost broke because now you are living outside of the system, and we're here to tell you that that's just simply not the case. Yep. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating. It really helps us get discovered by other people looking for truth. And uh, we have a great website called theoffgridoutpost.com. We have tons of good content. We have free PDF downloads. We have uh, an, a really cool ebook coming out that is basically how to start a stealth business using counter economics. It's very informative if you're trying to uh, financially opt out of the system. 
we basically tell you exactly how to do so. And you can always uh, send us an email to theoffgridoutpost.gmail.com. You can leave a voicemail. Uh, the link is in the show notes. We could feature you on one of our episodes. And we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. I think it would be really awesome, too, if, um, you know, if you're someone who supports Antifa, love to hear from you. Tell us why. And if you think anything that we've said is uh, incorrect, let us know. I would love to hear the opposing side, or not necessarily the opposing side, but the side that is in favor of Antifa. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not saying, like, I oppose Antifa per se. It's just a lot of their tactics, I feel, is... uh, very hypocritical yes of their message all right y'all we'll tune in next time and we'll catch you on the flip side talk to you later here's a little teaser for what's coming next week so the moral to the story here is do not be afraid of how you're going to make money when you go off grid you will have more options to make money living an off-grid lifestyle than you do working a regular nine-to-five job lifestyle. Don't you think? Don't you think you'd have more options? I think so. I think absolutely you have more options. Thanks for listening to the Off-Grid Outpost podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe so you can get all the new episodes.